This podcast is brought to you by Rudolph's Reindeer Chow, organic food for your special reindeer sourced from whole and fresh ingredients. Rudolph's Reindeer Chow is everything a reindeer needs to be at peak performance with ingredients including candy canes, gingerbread, eggnog, Chex Mix, hot chocolate, green bean casserole, and Reese's peanut butter cup Christmas trees. The unique blend of Christmas favorites enables your reindeer to perform at their magical best. Their hooves are quieter, flight altitude higher, and weight bearing greater. Order today with promo code TISTHEPOD for a 5% discount on your first order and enjoy happier, heartier, healthier reindeer with Rudolph's Reindeer Chow. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to Tis the Podcast. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And this is our fifth episode. This week we'll be covering Die Hard. I do have to point out that this is a week of several firsts for us, guys. This is our first Christmas movie with violence, with blood, (laughs) with death, with vulgarity, with guns. With terrorists? With nudity? I mean, we're crossing a lot of firsts off of our list right here at this one. But before we get going too far, Anthony, do you want to give us a plot synopsis for those who uh, either haven't seen the film or maybe it's been a little while? Absolutely. John McClane, a detective with the New York City Police Department, arrives in Los Angeles to attempt a Christmas reunion and reconciliation with his estranged wife, Holly, who is attending a party thrown by her employer, the Nakatomi Corporation. After a less than ideal start to their reconciliation, a group of bank robbers led by Hans Gruber take control of the building and hold everyone hostage with the exception of John. While they plan to perform a lucrative heist, unable to escape and with no immediate police response, John is forced to take matters into his own hands. Can John defeat the bad guys and ride off into the sunset with the love of his life? Yeah, I think that about sums up the movie. So let's start out with our histories, guys. What's your history with this movie, Anthony? I don't have a uh, storied history with this one like I did some of the other films on our list so far. I remember seeing it at some point when I was younger and loving it immediately. It was probably my first rated R Christmas movie I've seen. I'm pretty sure I saw it in middle school for the first time with my dad. I remember really enjoying it after the first time I saw it, and I still really enjoy it. And I make sure to watch it every year, but that's about it. What about you guys? Well, uh, it came out in 1988, I think. So I was six when it came out. So needless to say, I did not see it until the (laughs) mid-90s, just because my parents are, you know... They're good parents. I obviously didn't see it in the theater. I'm sure the first time I saw it was edited on television for many reasons. But I can share with Anthony that it was my dad that I watched it with because my mom's not so into action movies. So I'm sure it was my dad and my brother. And I just remember unfettered access to the edited version on TV anytime it was on. So if it was on, we were watching it. 
And that's how it is today, right? If I'm flipping through and it's on television, I got to watch it because it's such a great movie. And it's totally timeless for me, even though there's massive amounts of shoulder pads and feathered hair. (laughs) It is timeless. I love this movie. It's so much fun to watch, even with the gore and the violence and not so much the bad words because I usually watch the edited one. But (laughs) anyway... That's mine. What about you, Tom? I saw this movie first way back when I was a young 34-year-old man with my wife two Christmases ago. We were talking and realized neither of us had ever seen this movie. And I thought, as uh, those of you who are listening to this podcast and have not seen this movie, how in the heck is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I think, actually, I say we watched it at Christmas time. We watched it well in advance of Christmas time because we were looking for a non-Christmas Christmas movie to watch. And it was fun. We, uh, you know, I have, I have fond memories. My wife has her own business, so things get crazy from time to time. And this was just one of those times where, where we were able to just unplug, hang out, and spend, a good, spend good quality time together. And we both loved this movie. I mean, I watched it nearly 30 years after it aired or after it uh, premiered. And it was still good. It was still funny. And... Oddly heartwarming and very raw, raw, let's go America. So, I mean, it it put in all of those weird feels along with the Christmas feels in a way that I don't know many other movies have done it. I know when I was a kid, my grandparents rented the movie, but again, being decent human beings, they did not let me watch it. So uh, I remember wanting to see this one and Lethal Weapon both as a kid. We've got to add that to our list at some point. I still haven't seen it. You still haven't seen Lethal Weapon? Nope. Oh, that's my favorite Mel Gibson. Lethal Weapon Mel Gibson is my favorite. Now we definitely have to schedule it sooner rather than later. It's, it's on my, it's, it's now on my hold list until we get ready to film it. I want to, I want to actually have a movie that I've never seen that we can talk about. So I'll be coming at it with new fresh eyes. I've seen Die Hard so many times already <laughs> since I watched it a couple years ago. It never gets old. I watched it twice last week, as a matter of fact. So within the last week, so. Let's discuss the plot. What'd you guys think? I mean, it's a it's a pretty typical 80s action movie. You've got this lone renegade cop and these bad guys trying to do something heinous, and he swings in to save the day. I like that it was a very self-aware 80s action movie, because Hans Gruber refers multiple times throughout the movie. What, you think you're just another American hero, like you're Arnold Schwarzenegger or john wayne or whoever else he referenced like the american cowboy so the fact that was very self-aware i think um you know makes it a little less cheesy than it could have become as it aged but uh it was like you said it's a very typical 80s action plot but i love it despite that and i agree bruce willis and alan rickman knew what they were playing they knew what they were making and it was obvious they knew what they were making and i i if i'm not mistaken this was the film that brought both of them to light in america correct this was bruce willis's first big role and it was alan rickman's yeah. first movie role ever he was only known oh, for was. stage stage okay. uh, productions before him so we got two film legends out of this movie and can i no, just definitely. point out i think it's what is it now for uh five for five in which a harry potter actor has shown up on our podcast in a christmas role <laughs> It was. I was actually um, waiting to say that, that we're striking out again, we, that we have not had an episode where Harry Potter has not come up yet. Uh, <laughs> and we're not complaining. <laughs> no, we are not. Um, I love out-of-place stories. So when you have a character that's just totally out of place in some location they're completely uncomfortable in, and John McClane in Los Angeles is it. I mean, the minute he gets off the airplane, he's like, what? Because you've got your no-nonsense New York cop in the land of nonsense, Los Angeles. So right from the beginning, um, I love Bruce Willis. I've, I've 
loved him, I guess, since this movie, because really I can't think of anything I was really attached to before this one, right? I didn't watch Moon Moonlight, Moonlighting, whatever the show was he had on television while this movie was filming as well. I never watched that. I think it was kind of a rom-com, right? So this is this is the start of Bruce Willis for me. But him as a New Yorker is sublime and him as a New Yorker in Los Angeles is even better. He I mean, hammed up the accent so a little bit. Did he? <laughs> Just a little. Speaking from a. <laughs> it's just a little bit. Like, I mean, when I put it in the other day to watch, and uh, it must have been almost a year since I've watched it. The first time we spoke, I was like, wow, he really hands it up. And maybe it was for the whole fish out of water thing, but like, mm-hmm. took a little getting used to. So, as far as our history goes, just real quick, I was going to bring up this. Uh, as Julia said, this is from 1988. Um, so, it is at the, the late 80s. The, the 80s action hero has definitely been established. And it was, it's based on Roderick Thorpe's novel, uh, which had been a New York Times bestseller. And it was directed by John McTiernan. Do you guys know him? Nope. He did Predator, The Hunt for Red October, The 13th Warrior, The Thomas Crown Affair, which has haunted me my entire life because I can't tell you how many people spell Thomas Crow as Thomas Crown because of that film. (laughs) Uh, And he directed an awful 2002 film, Rollerball, starring LL Cool J. Did you guys see that one? No. No. It's just terrible. Ladies may love Cool James, but I'm not sure they did in that movie. I mean, it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) So let's. Red October was really good. I like that movie. I mean, he has a good resume besides that. Uh, what was it? Rollerball? But the rest of those films you rattled off are all pretty good. Mm-hmm. For sure. Let's just jump right into the cast, guys. I mean, we've got... I think this we're going to spend a lot more time here than we have maybe uh, in the past on other episodes because we have an amazing cast, starting mm-hmm. with, of course, Bruce Willis. So this was your first experience with Bruce Willis, Julia? Die Hard was, yeah, that I can remember. Sure. Yeah. Just given my age and the types of movies he was seen in, yeah, this was my start with Bruce Willis. But once I started, I didn't stop. I love (laughs) Bruce Willis. All the way through the rest of this film series, right, which got worse the later they got, except apart from the first three. So you've got first Die Hard, second Die Hard, and third Die Hard. I love number one, and then I love number three, and then I love number two in that order. It's my favorite. And I love three so much because Samuel L. Jackson... Because I love Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, Bruce Willis uh, and Samuel L. Jackson do so well together. They just—it's just such a fantastic, fantastic. Oh, but I don't like the newer ones near as much. I still watch I'm, them because well, I'm gonna. But I'm gonna repeat the argument that Michael Scott made on The Office and talking about Die Hard. The first few are really good because he was just an ordinary guy forced into these extraordinary circumstances but as each movie went on he became more and more like a freaking superhero the things they were having him do like it was much better when he was just a cop stuck at a christmas party who had to save the day <laughs> there, there's always bring it back to michael scott <laughs> have to do it especially since you're still watching it that's right <laughs> there's a new uh, diehard coming out diehard year one and uh, Bruce Willis is rumored to be in it. Nothing's confirmed yet, but... What is it like? I, not much. I couldn't find much about it, except for the fact that it's been announced. I mean, it sounds like a prequel year one. It does. So I, I don't... I guess he would have to be playing somebody else. I'm not sure who he would be playing in the film, but... Like, I'm so confused takes, by that title. Maybe it's about his days as a cop in New York. I don't know. His, his first Christmas where he had to stop terrorists. Yeah. I mean, that's... What- <laughs> what I immediately think of. <laughs> so is this your favorite Bruce Willis film, guys? Yes. This is my favorite. 
I'm going to have to deviate here. Oh, it's yours. I am. I really loved Unbreakable. I mean. Oh, good choice. And I was a big fan of 12 Monkeys. I thought it was a great film. I loved it. Um, I have not seen it in years, so I don't know if I still do, but I was a big fan. As an Unbreakable fan, what did you think of the ending of Split? Haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Never mind. But uh, I haven't seen it either. It's a very good movie. You should go watch it. I'll watch any M. Night movie for the most part, you know? (laughs) <laughs> I've I've lost faith in man. Have you? After I saw the last one with the grandparents, I'm done. Oh, I liked the, that one. I thought that one was okay. Which one? Did I miss one entirely? It came, it came out like last summer. The visit. I remember the trailers for that. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that was it. Split in M Night Shyamalan movie. Oh yeah, it is know. okay. All right, so that's his most recent one then. Okay, um, sorry, I know we deviated there, but but I would also feel remiss if we didn't bring up that he was in look who's talking <laughs> <laughs> and uh and beavis and butthead what was it beavis and butthead do america was that their movie i did not like that show or that movie <laughs> you didn't like beavis and butthead yeah no i did not so bruce willis was in beavis i and never butthead. watched it but i can Me. quote you know uh, and he was also in armageddon which was a kind of a big deal when we were younger and i liked armageddon yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. But one of the things I really loved him doing is uh, all of his uh, short-term characters he's done on TV. You know, like Friends. Oh, Friends. He was great in Friends on that show. Yes, he was. And in researching for the show, I also learned he was the uh, first fill-in host for David Letterman back in 2003, when David Letterman, for the first time in 20 years, had a sick day. And Bruce Willis was supposed to be the guest, and they talked to him, and he filled in for Letterman. So we ha- we do have somebody to thank for Bruce Willis's casting in this movie, and it's not the director. Who is that? It's somebody I never thought I would thank in my life, Rupert Murdoch. What? Bruce Willis wouldn't do it below a certain salary, and as head of Fox, uh, Rupert Murdoch personally approved the salary and the budget for the film. Was this the one where he made $5 million? Yeah, something like that. I forget the exact amount, but Rupert Murdoch uh, personally approved it, allowing Bruce Willis to star in the film. So thanks, Rupert Murdoch. It's the only good thing you've ever done. (laughs) Oh, burn. (laughs) If you're listening, by the way, you can come on our show and be a guest host if you'd like to. (laughs) Please come on our show. I have a few things I want to talk about with you. (laughs) Are they related to Christmas movies? I can tie them back somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tie it back to Home Alone too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and we should also mention uh, Bruce Willis is not the first choice for this part. He was not. Do you know who was, Julia? Um, I don't know who the first choice was, so tell me. Robert De Niro. Okay, so I was right. That would have so been a, a crazy different movie. Another Christmas film in which Robert De Niro was offered the role first and turned it down. Schwarzenegger was also approached for it. That makes sense. I didn't know that, though. It makes it even funnier that uh, Alan Rickman brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. And did you guys recognize his wife from anything else? She looked familiar, but I can't name anything else she's been in off the top of my head. But she definitely is one of those people I know I've seen in something else. You've seen her really recently in a TV show, one that Julia liked more than I did. I was blown away too, guys. I'm not going to lie. She played Camille Braverman on Parenthood. Oh, I haven't watched Parenthood. I've never watched that show. Never mind then. I thought, oh, I thought we talked about it. It must have been somebody else. My bad. I'm sure I would like it. Are we so interchangeable with other people, Tom? I thought the three of us had a special connection as (laughs) co-hosts and you're getting us confused with other people. 
We do, but as Julia will, will uh, vouch, when you have a child, you lose sleep and everything in life becomes a fog and one big constant memory. <laughs> Holly is played by Bonnie Bedelia. Do you know who she's related to from a Christmas movie we talked about recently? Is she related to Catherine O'Hara? Nope. That was just my first guess, but I have no clue. No she is Macaulay Culkin's aunt. Oh, wow. Is she really? She is. How funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. She doesn't have as illustrious a career as Bruce Willis, but she is in an upcoming Christmas movie called Christmas on the Coast that's currently filming. Is that a theatrical release or a Hallmark release? You know, I am honestly not sure. Um, judging, judging from the name, it sounds like something that would be a made-for-television movie. Yeah, it sounds a bit Hallmarky. It does sound Hallmarky, doesn't it? Which is not a bad thing, by the way. So, Holly, I think she is an amazing character, and she has one of the best scenes in this movie and that is um when she confronts hans gruber for the first time and she can just hold her own against him and like negotiate with him and he has like the utmost respect for her and just about tells her so to her face but i love that scene like she held her own against him better than john mcclain did in any other scene in this film and she's a great scene she has one of the best lines there too you guys remember the line? The, if you like things, if you don't like things messy, you might want to start bringing us to the bathroom. And <laughs> I know that wasn't the one, but I always love that one because I'm like, that's straight up what a woman would say. <laughs> I love when, uh, well, or when she's, she's prepping for it and she's talking about it. She's, she's like, hey, babe, I negotiate a million dollar deal for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. <laughs> Anyone else love the irony that her name's Holly and it's a Christmas movie? Because I'm... I'm fighting to the death that it's a Christmas movie. I think that was... No, we haven't gone to that yet. But yeah, I love her. Yeah, her character is super awesome. And what cracked me up, though, about rewatching this movie again is that office culture in the 80s cracks me up a little bit because who is at a Christmas party on Christmas Eve at your office? (laughs) For one, I mean, don't they schedule that early now to where, you know, on Christmas Eve, you're actually with your kids. Is there a difference between the eighties, eighties generation and like generation Xers now where we're like, Scott Calvin was also at a Christmas party on Christmas Eve. Wasn't it? It was. Was. So, listeners, if you're out there and your office throws Christmas parties like Christmas Eve, please write in and tell us how terrible the company you work for is. (laughs) I also think it's so funny and kind of sad that she was talking to her kids on the phone on Christmas Eve from the party. And she's like, well, I'm probably not going to see you guys before you go to bed. So, I love you. And I'm like, it's Christmas Eve. You're not going to see your kids before they go to bed. This is what work. Working women in the 80s had to do. They had to get it done. Which Working women point. still have to do that. Yeah, they do. They do. It does bring up a good point. Why in the heck John hasn't seen his kids and he goes to this party instead before going to see them on Christmas Eve? That's just weird. As a dad, I am not going to see my estranged wife at her Christmas party before I see my kids. But the whole point... Was he wanted to work things out with his wife. So I'm going to argue he did that in the hopes he could go home with her and surprise the kids that way. That's valid. I could see that. So Santa's bringing daddy home? (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) I think we should hold off before we get to our favorite actor for this film. 
And I just have to, to throw a little bit of love out there to Reginald Bell Johnson. Yeah. I do. Guys. Uncle Family Carl. matters. Oh, my gosh. It was Uncle Carl. I, don't I feel know, like just, he was pretty much playing the same character because wasn't he also a cop on that show too? He totally was. Totally. That's every time I saw him, <laughs> I was real in this movie. Because again, I saw it recently. All I could think is, where is Urkel? <laughs> <laughs> so that the, the of, only thing that would have made this movie better is if Urkel had to help John McClane take down the terrorists if he was <laughs> trapped in the building with him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Now, Reginald Bell Johnson is no stranger to Christmas movies, guys. Really? He has been in a movie called A Cool Like That Christmas, The 12 Dog Days Till Christmas, The Mistletones, and he's in, uh, they're currently prepping the movie The Flight Before Christmas. Wow. So he's got a little bit of a Christmas movie interest there. I, I did love his character, but did you know one of the only bad reviews for this film came from Roger Ebert? who said he loved the entire movie, but this specific character and actor ruined it for him and took him out of the movie every time he was on the screen. So he gave it like one or two star rating because of this one character, even though he loved the rest of the film. There's a reason I don't listen to film critics. And I think you just spouted one of the good ones. Seriously. He gave this movie a horrible rating because of Reginald Vell Johnson. That's correct. Which is weird because I think he added a he in my mind he is essential to the plot of this movie. He is John's guy on the outside. He's the guy John is connecting with. They have a really sweet moment about midway three quarters of the way through the film where he's John McClane's like giving up and he's on the walkie telling him, "Look, this is what you've got to tell my wife. You'll know what I mean in a bit. You'll know who she is in a bit." And it's a really sweet scene, and he's basically trying to put um, the fight back in John. I love that scene, and I love the character, and he's awesome. And utmost respect to Roger Ebert, but he was totally off the mark this time. Okay, wait a second. Roger Ebert didn't like Dwayne Robinson. He didn't like Chief Dwayne Robinson, not Reginald. Because when I first read that trivia bit, I thought the same thing that you just said. And I was like, man, what is up with this? Because I'm I'm not, I mean, I I was the same things, right? Like, how could you not like that guy? He didn't like Robinson. And Robinson was like the biggest dirtbag character in this entire movie. So I can see his points on that because he really is kind of pointless. And he's totally inept for a chief of, of any, I mean, like nothing he says makes sense. He's just there for you to not like him. He made me very angry just to look at him. Just like that newscaster. But like he was another '80s movie stereotype, just yeah, like the, totally. just like the um, the jerky office worker, or what was his name, Ellis. Ellis. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very, yeah, yeah. Total that, stereotypes. That, that hard beat chief that you have to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was pretty '80s. But I apologize for getting that wrong. So thanks for correcting me, Julia. But yeah. I still am going to say that that Roger Ebert missed the mark here. I mean, to to Take the movie down that much because you don't like the police chief. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. I can't even really see dinging the movie over over his character. He wasn't he wasn't that big of a of a presence in the movie to even lower a rating for. If you're gonna ding it, no more than half a star, honestly. Yeah. If that. Yeah. Yeah. So should we so, go on to our favorite? Let's do it, please. Hans Gruber. 
Alan Rickman. Oh, not the first choice for his role either. No. Did you know he also wasn't the first choice for a uh, Snape? I didn't know that. The studio wanted Tim Roth. I like Tim Roth, but I couldn't see him as Snape. I was going to say it dodged the bullet because Lie to Me is one of my favorite shows ever, and that would not have happened with Tim Roth had he uh, been Snape. So it worked out. It worked out well for everybody. So who was who was first picked for Hans Gruber? Sam Neill, aka Doctor Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. Oh, that's right. He would. I can see him in a similar role, but it would have been a very different portrayal of the villain. Rickman was firing on all cylinders in this film. They had to convince Rickman to take the role, though, because he was afraid, and rightfully so, as it turned out, given his future movie roles, that if he played a big Hollywood bad villain, he'd be typecast as such. And sure enough, he was in many of his roles later on in life. Mm -hmm. But totally worth it, because nobody plays a bad villain like Alan Rickman does. No, not at all. But with depth, too. Totally. I, he does. Even when he did, uh, when he was the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I loved it. He wasn't going to do that one either. Did you know that? <gasps> he wasn't? He w- he wasn't going to do that until they told him, carte blanche, this is your character, you make it happen. Oh, when they oh that makes me like to, even more. Right? That, is, <laughs> yeah. that character is all Alan Rickman's creation. Why a spoon, cousin? Because it'll hurt more, you twit. <laughs> Whatever he calls him. We quote that all the time in the office. Why a spoon, cousin? <laughs> Nobody has ever made ho, ho, ho sound more intimidating than Alan Rickman <laughs> when, he, <laughs> when he said it in that voice. Ho, I love it. (laughs) Aside from that, Snape, I don't even know where to start with this guy's film pedigree. I mean, he's done amazing stuff. He was one of the first famous people that when they died and I heard about it, like I started crying. Like it hit me bad that day. I'm like, I can't, I mean, I didn't know the guy personally. I've just seen him through his work and through his quotes about the stuff he's worked on. But he seemed like he would have been just as cool in person as he was on the screen. And so much of that Snape, right? That's my biggest Mm -hmm. attachment to Mm -hmm. Alan Rickman. Like I got super emotional when I found out that he had died. Just terribly sad. What a loss. And not to get on a Harry Potter Snape thing, but we always have to get on a Harry Potter thing on this podcast. Reading the books, he's not who I would have pictured as Snape before he was cast, because in the book, Snape is a lot more, I think he's younger and has a bit more of a fiery, easily angered personality. And whereas Alan Rickman brought this like menacing calm to the character. So it was a different portrayal than I would have imagined or cast for that character. But like now reading those books, all I can picture is Alan Rickman as Snape. When when those movies are eventually remade in like 30 years, nobody will be able to top his performance. I can totally agree. Just like if this movie's ever remade, nobody's ever going to be able to top his performance here either. Mm Mm-mm. I have a fairly um, unpopular opinion about not being able to talk people in movies, especially the Harry Potter ones. Um, I don't think Michael Gambon ever lived up to Richard Harris. 100% agree. <laughs> awesome. I have, been argue- I have had people argue that hardcore. Still, when I read the book and I'm picturing Richard Harris every step of the way is Dumbledore. Sarah argues that she, she likes Richard Harris better in the role and thinks he is Dumbledore. But she thinks Michael Gambon brought something Harris didn't have in terms of the youthful eccentricities of him, whereas uh, Richard Harris is very regal and old, and whereas Michael Gambon brought that 
different aspect of Dumbledore from the books, which is a little more kookier side. So she thought like, if you could combine the two, like Richard Harris's looks and demeanor, but with Gambon's quirks, like it would have been like the perfect combination. Huh. It would have been interesting to see what Richard Harris would have made of the line where they talk about Birdie Bot's beans <laughs> and Dumbledore. I wonder what he would have sounded like reading that line because you're true. It's very true, right? The that playfulness. It's not. There's not much of that in the first one, just because mm-hmm. there's not because it's the first one. I would have been very interested to see how he would have done in the later movies where he yes. gets a little more jovial. So yeah. I wonder if part of that was the detached newness of Harry with uh, Dumbledore. Yeah, that's true. We're going to have to stop talking about Harry Potter or we're going to have nothing to talk about when we get to those (laughs) Christmas scenes. Oh my God. Can we just make that like a three hour episode? Because we have a lot to say. (laughs) Maybe we should make it its own standalone, not part of anything else. Have like a 6.5 episode just do Harry Potter so we can get it on the books. Alan Rickman's other Christmas movie we'll be covering in February, Love Actually. Love that movie. He and Emma Thompson just had great, great, great chemistry, even though they, as a couple, were not supposed to have great chemistry. Just as actors, they did such a great job. And just weird thinking that Snape and Trelawney were lovers in another movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is. It is. Or that Trelawney and... Gosh, what's his name? Kenneth Branagh's character, the gold. Lockhart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That they were lovers in a different movie, right? With much to do about nothing. He was Benedict and she was Beatrice. Yep. They have a long history though as well. I think that whole six degrees of separation, Kevin Costner, no, not Kevin Costner. um, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's like two degrees of separation for Harry Potter guys. As we're learning. Yeah. Oh <laughs> or any Brits for that matter. Yeah. That should totally be a page on our website. The two degrees of separation from Harry Potter. And we pick out, point out how each movie's connected. That could be fun. <laughs> that could be a lot of fun. I like it. Anyway, Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman. What blew me away about his performance. I mean, he did, he was great throughout the entire thing, but the, uh, the scene where he confronts John on the, uh, on the roof and he's pretending to be an escaped hostage at that point, when he pulls off and starts speaking like an American, <laughs> I mean, he does that. He nails it perfectly. Not everybody can do do that as well as he did. I mean, you know, the 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 German comes and goes throughout the film. Let's be honest. I mean, it's not the most consistent accent that he comes up with. But when he switches to an American dialect, I was shocked. I didn't know Alan Rickman had that in him. <laughs> that was an amazing. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. That scene between Absolutely. them. I read some trivia that that had a lot to do with him being cast as well was um, what's the director's name? McTiernan. Uh-huh. That he, um, he heard that American accent. And I don't remember how he heard it in the process of auditioning, but that clinched it for him because they had a Brit, they had a, to figure out a way for John McClane and Hans Gruber to meet in the movie. At what point do they meet? How are they going to manufacture that? And that became the way to do it. Um, his ability to sound so American made that happen, which I think is also pretty cool. <laughs> so the scene where he falls from the building, you, awesome scene. But did you know that's a real look of surprise on his face? Yes. I, the stuntmen. They dropped, oh. They were supposed to drop him on the count of three or something, and they dropped him early to get the surprise. Mm-hmm. And supposedly Alan Rickman was none too pleased about it when he hit the ground. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he uh, he actually he he did he fell twenty feet, right? Yeah, it was a good height. Yeah, twenty feet onto a, an air like a pad padding. Yeah, yeah, he was not happy about being tricked to get that. That's a bold move on the director's part or the stuntman, whoever made that decision. That's a the stunt director. That's a bold move to make. Well, if that was his first movie, like, could you imagine if somebody did that to him toward the end of his career, like as Snape or something, or like in his later movies, if somebody pulled that with him, he probably could get somebody fired. I would think somebody, I would think there would be somebody who would never work in Hollywood again. (laughs) But um, can we talk about the logistics of that scene? Because I don't really buy that, like, uh, he was hanging on by a watch. By the watch? Yeah. That, that always that always makes reality. me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> he's a really good watch, guys. Not this, not this cheap Apple Watch Three that was just announced. He never could have held on by that. <laughs> it's not one of those gun on the mantelpiece moments as well. There's a few in this movie, but that watch is one of them. At the beginning, they mentioned her getting a Rolex. A Rolex, right? Wasn't that the Rolex? Yep, that she's yep. wearing. It's Chekhov's so gun. Whole, right, exactly. Um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, Reginald talking about, um, haven't, I haven't shot a gun since, right? His whole mishap and all that. The minute he says that, I think even the first time I saw it, I was like, he's going to be shooting again. He's going to kill someone. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a plot device right there. (laughs) He's going to shoot him. (laughs) Yeah, there were a few, I mean, this movie is, is really not without its flaws and its mistakes. Do we want to move on to what we liked and didn't like in the film? Yeah. Wait, can we talk about one more character? Yes. Yeah. Argyle. Argyle. Looking at Argyle, the limo driver. I love Argyle. (laughs) He's so great. It's his first day day on the job. (laughs) When he rams the van at the end, (laughs) when he gets to play the hero and he jumps out of the limo and just decks the guy. I love it. I just he he makes that he I, I feel like the ending is made completely by Reginald. You know they get in the limo and drive away, and there's that whole like smashed up front of the car, and Reginald just goes like nothing's wrong. Oh, his <laughs> quote his quote right at the very end: "If this is your idea of Christmas, I gotta be here for New Year's." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, he was he was great from the from the from the get go when he's telling Bruce Willis that he's never done this before and you know driven a, a lim- picked somebody up and driven him in a limo and Bruce Willis is like yeah I've never ridden in a limo before uh, they just immediately start out on a good note mm-hmm. and he has excellent taste in Christmas music might I add Christmas and Hollis <laughs> Christmas and Hollis <laughs> I started cracking up when I heard that and thought of you Anthony I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm glad. Although I, and then I thought of you guys because I feel like you guys kind of judged me for that choice. And Bruce no. Willis says, Bruce Willis says to him, don't you have any Christmas music? And he says, this is Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> so I did think of you guys too. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like, we're all getting to know each other. It's like, we're finishing each other's sandwiches. <laughs> I'm not frozen. <laughs> I'm Frozen, by the way, has a Christmas short coming out this year. We should review at some point. Ooh. We just talk shorts. Yes, that would be fun. There are so many of them. I'm game for the Frozen short. Thank God yeah. my daughter's too young to have gone through that whole Frozen stage, so I still enjoy the movie. I love I lo- it still. I love that movie. I can't wait to see it on Broadway. Oh, jealous. That would be very cool. My favorite Disney movie has recently changed. What is it? I love Moana. 
Oh, I love Moana. I love that movie. It is, in my opinion, the best Disney music of any film they've ever done. Yeah, that music is banging, man. That saw, is one of the best I saw Moana for the first time a few months ago. Didn't like it. Oh, but so but I watched it when I was homesick, so maybe I should watch it in my correct state of mind because everyone I don't know. Says this was one. Oh gosh, see this one I loved immediately. Me too. I mean, like fifteen minutes into the movie, I'm like, this animation is pristine. Oh, it's and gorgeous. that ocean is crazy, and the music grabbed me. And her as a person, I love the way that they animated her like a real flipping woman. And not like a Barbie doll, right? And they were they held true to that. And I know that it's got cultural issues. I've I've read articles about how it's it's not totally on point and they misrepresented some stuff. But I think you have to nitpick pretty hard for this one to be considered, you know, culturally wrong. Because right. I really don't think it was. Oh man, I love that movie. I love Moana. I'm so glad you said that, Tom. My and favorite I- Christmas movie is still Beauty and the Beast. Oh, <laughs> I never original? saw the Christmas one. The the original. Okay. Oh, did you see your favorite Christmas movie? Oh no 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 no! My favorite Disney movie. Disney movie. Okay, sorry, I heard you wrong. <laughs> and I really loved the live action one too, though. But the animated one. I loved all the. Oh, there's nothing in the world that sounds better in my ears than auto tuned Emma Watson. <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry. she didn't sound bad. No, it just sounded really produced. What I was going to say about Moana, the thing I love so much about Moana is you have a strong female character who has no romantic need for a man. This is a Disney movie where the woman goes out and does what she needs to do and comes home and doesn't need to be in love at the end of the movie. Yes. In fairness, that's that's the message of Frozen too. She thinks she needs a man, but in the end, they only needed each other, sisters. But Anna still ended up with a guy. There was still a love story in it that annoyed me. But I love Kristoff. Don't get me wrong. Kristoff, like, he's my heart. I love that guy. So I love all the characters in Frozen. I do too. But it was nice about Moana having absolutely zero boy. Zero boy needed. Zero boy interested. That's why I loved about the Little Mermaid, guys. But Eric was... What? That's a a joke. Okay, I was like, wait a second. Did we watch different ones? (laughs) Ellie, every time... I play Moana all the time for Ellie because she loves the music, and every time she starts dancing, and it's just... I love it that much more. My favorite song in that entire movie is Shiny. I love that song. Gabe will start... Gabe's my... For Anthony, Gabe is my um, six-year-old, and he will sing constantly it doesn't matter what he's doing he's singing something it can be off the radio it can be some old song it can be commercials whatever but he will be in his room and i'll hear shiny and i'll have to like pop my head in and be like let's do this thing man (laughs) that and when he goes when he says um oh i see you've covered it in bioluminescent algae (laughs) the way he says that germane whatever his face is from um flight of the the concords yeah yeah Oh my gosh, I love that part. Okay. And I love it at the so, very I love it at the very end when he's like, you know, you would care more if I were a cute little shrimp yes. with a Jamaican accent named Sebastian. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. I will play it up at work just for the music because I haven't downloaded the soundtrack yet. I just should do it, but I haven't. So I just There's have it running in the background. Now that we have um, thoroughly digressed, for those of you who are listening, I don't know how much of what we just talked about got edited, um, but we went on some strange tangents. So I'm going to pull it back here, and we're going to talk about the things we liked and did not like about this film. 
And I'm going to go ahead and say, I overall, I liked the film. There were some things that they just didn't think about and that should not have made it through post-production that really bugged me, like the uh, the anti-tank gun or whatever they shoot, you know? How they shoot it twice and blow up the same window twice. <laughs> uh, I'm like, come on, guys. We, we need to pay a little bit more attention to that. Um, How about when you can clearly see that his feet are fake when he's stepping all over the glass and they're bloody? Yeah. Or when you can clearly see him wearing shoes when he's not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Or when he gets shot and then there's no blood where he was shot. <laughs> well, he is John McClane. That's true. Bleed like regular people do. But I mean, um, aside from those, those that are just kind of the, the fun things to, to watch and catch. And I don't know how many of those I would have caught, but you know, a year ago or something, I look, I always like to find those, you know, like the car in Braveheart. I always think it's really funny to watch those. So can we talk about like what makes a Christmas movie in your eyes? Because a lot, some people don't think this is a Christmas movie and I want to see if you two do not, not, not not like it's separate from the Linus test, although they probably lead into each other, but in your opinion, what makes a Christmas movie? So some non-Linus things I expect from Christmas movies, right, would be ambiance. So even if that means just having a Christmas tree there or if it means full-fledged, we're in Santa's workshop. I want a holiday ambiance. I want some kind of a family togetherness theme going there or some kind of togetherness, right? And I want to have Christmas music somewhere in it. I've got to have the soundtrack, so to speak, of Christmas. Those are my three big ones for Christmas movies. The setting for me, yeah. I would add lights and snow to that. Well, snow is give or take, depending where it's set, but lights always right. add to it, and snow is always a bonus in my mind. Always. I was going to say you need the ambiance and the Christmas music. This has, a, I mean, the soundtrack is wonderful. Yes, yes. It, it is. It is a great soundtrack, and I didn't realize how good it was until I was listening or watching it for this podcast when I, you know, without something in mind. And it was great. I did have a little bit of a hard time with the LA theme at first. Christmas movies should not be in LA. I'm sorry. It's just not right. West coast is not Christmas. Agreed. I, need, I need either New York or stars hollow. And those are the only two settings that we should have for Christmas. Stars for. hollow. Yes, please. Stars hollow. Always. Um, if it's not one of those two, it does not need to be in a Christmas movie, but this overcame it with the, the, they just did enough stuff. I think going back to when we were talking about Christmas and Hollis, I think that set the scene for this is not your typical Christmas movie. Right from the get-go. Oh, oh. They're, they're going to play it and say, this is not, you know, not going to be your feel-good, let's sit around and drink eggnog Christmas movie. No, I'm going to argue that, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> Christmas and Hollis, maybe not in where you guys are, but in New York, it's on the radio all the time. I can't agree with you. John McClain didn't know what it was, and he was from New York. In, and in recent years, <laughs> almost every big TV show has had it in their Christmas episodes at least one season. But in 1988, it was played for the sole purpose of, of being not your typical Christmas song. They were ahead of their time. <laughs> That's his guns, and he's sticking to it. So, so Anthony, is, Anthony is, is, is arguing here that... Christmas and Hollis in 1988 was meant to evoke all the Christmas feelings for everybody. <laughs> and in case, were, in, in case you were the John John McClane, Argyle was there to correct you. This is this is where Anthony's coming from. Okay. <laughs> First of all, I don't know about you, but every time I hear that song come on, I immediately get into the Christmas mood. 
it has the classic beats of like classic songs like woven in it. I'm sorry. It is a modern Christmas classic. I, I would agree with that. It's a modern Christmas classic. But yeah, it doesn't so, get me in the mood. So 30 years down the line when your kids are your age and my future kids are grown up, they'll be like, oh, Christmas and Hollis. That's such an oldie classic, guys. I'm going to defend this song forever. I'm going to take a drink of my tea. <laughs> And not tell you that I don't think my children will be listening to this in 30 years, nor will anybody else. Oh, <laughs> oh burn. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to drink my tea instead. It has already lasted 30 years. It has. You're right. No, it is fun. It is fun. I'm just, I like to troll you. <laughs> okay. And <clears throat> Julie would have this fresher in her mind than anyone. It worked during the office Christmas party scene when they all started getting drunk and like enjoying the party and that song was blaring in the background. It did. Yeah. It's the only song I could picture in that in that scene. It, that scene would not have worked with any other song. That's very true. But that Christmas episode scene of The Office does not give me the warm, fuzzy Christmas feels. It makes me laugh. I'm not entirely with you on that. But you know, what gives me the Christmas feels is the Carpenters. And that makes people recoil a little bit as well. So yeah, like Tom right now is, he's doing a little dry heave thing. Man on an island here. I get it. Okay, whatever. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Argyle is my favorite character in this movie. <gasps> I can't argue that. He's... <laughs> Really, I don't think you could tell me anybody was your favorite character in the movie, and I would have a disagreement with, except the chief. Oh, he was going to make he's a close second, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, how could you not? I mean, Argyle is... Argyle, Argyle and Hans Gruber are my two favorite. I love Reginald, I do. Good choice. Just, and it's, again, it goes back to the Family Matters childhood. He's Uncle Carl, and I loved it. <laughs> Did y'all pick up on the fact that most characters in this movie end up humming Christmas songs at some point or another or multiple times? I loved yes. that. And I picked up more on that this time than I ever did before. Um, but I love that they use that to continue to establish the fact that it is a Christmas movie, right? They're setting the stage and they're reinforcing that, mm-hmm. that Christmas setting. Is, it's not just set in Christmas time. Christmas is a part of the movie. Right. It is. I agree. Yeah, it is. Which, which is why, yeah, uh, my conclusion is it is without a doubt a Christmas movie. I agree. So, and we'll get to this. That brings into question the validity of the Linus test to me. It passes. I think it passes the Linus test too. It passes. You may, we're, we now. may be bending it a little bit. So if you haven't been with us for the full time, the Linus test is, does this movie at the end wrap up in a nice little bow the meaning of Christmas to some degree? I think this comes up as a brings love together in the end. So they're, you know, they're together at least for now. But I don't think that either of them actually learned anything enough to make a lasting change. I would disagree. So it starts for me. Well, you can argue it starts when he decides to stay in the freaking building and save his wife, right? But when it really starts for me is when he is at his lowest point and talking with Reginald and telling him, look, you got to tell my wife and you'll figure out who she is. You know, I was an idiot. I should have followed you out here. I love her. I want to be with her. All that stuff, whatever the quote is, and I'm probably even botching the paraphrasing of that quote, but that scene right there where he realizes just how much he loves his wife, he would do anything, but he would, he's literally telling Reginald this because he's preparing to die for her in that moment. They, he he changed. He loves her. And that's a change from the beginning when they have their last fight before the 
terrorists take over the building. So I think that is a substantial change and isn't one of the biggest themes and most important messages of Christmas, loving one another. I thought it was Jesus. But he represents love. He just Jesus juked you big time, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to stop trolling Anthony for the rest of the Uh Um, I can't even joke I would kick you off the podcast because you do way too much. <laughs> so I, I can't kick you off. So, by, so then we're to the question, though. Um, where I'm looking at it is this could happen in any setting. It's not necessarily the, the, it doesn't need Christmas and it doesn't add to Christmas. You know what I mean? He could have done this on the 4th of July or... But the fact that it's Groundhog set Day. at Christmas, I think, is what pushes it over the edge and makes it pass the line this test. Julia, you're being very quiet. I, I'm with Anthony entirely on this because then the idea of the Linus test is that Linus could show up at that point in the movie and say, this is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and I think that he could do that. You know, when, when he's talking to Reginald on the phone, right? Like mm-hmm. the quote that Anthony just talked about, it's not just him committing saying that he should have moved here with Holly. That essentially means he would have left everything that he had worked towards in New York, left it all behind for her, sacrificing for family. And then at the end, when they're together and they're reunited and all of that stuff, I think that, I mean, that is what Christmas is all about is togetherness for me and being with the ones you love. And for him, it's not just being with the ones he loved. It's sacrificing everything to be with the ones he loved. So very one-sided Linus. Holly learned nothing. John has to change, give everything in. He has to compromise who he is to make their marriage work. That's what the Linus test is all about, guys. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's trolling me now, too. No, that's really, that's why I end up with it. That's the part of the movie that frustrates me. It's like, all the growth is one-sided. Here he is risking his life, doing everything to save her. And at the end, he's like, okay, I should have, I don't know. I'll argue that's more of a problem with the um, narrative. It is. Especially she should have realized, had I not moved here, my husband would not have been injured, nearly killed by terrorists, have slices in his feet. Yeah, that's yeah. more that's more of a narrative problem. I think it's just we followed John McClane, so we were getting his side of the story. And even though they showed what Holly was up to sometimes, they weren't really delving into what she was feeling. So yeah. I don't think that her character not learning anything negates the fact that this movie passes the Linus test in terms of John McClane. All right, so we're gonna be at we're gonna be at two two to one on this one. I'll be the lone man on the island this time. This is my Christmas in Hollis. <laughs> uh, I bet I bet I bet you wish you had that CD playing to keep you some company now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we all agree it is a Christmas movie, right? But we would love to hear from people whether or not they think it passes the Linus test, or if it's a Christmas movie, or if it's a Christmas movie. We want to hear both. Because I'm sure we'll get some interesting answers. I hope so. I hope so. Because this is one, actually had somebody ask me tonight, why in the world a Christmas podcast would do Die Hard. Um, really? So, yeah. Was it was it like a, a listener or somebody you know? Someone I know, which was kind of fun. And I do like the fact, I'm honestly, I'm not going to lie, I like last week and this week where we do have disagreements. It's a lot more fun. All right, so. And this is our first movie we've reviewed up to this point where we haven't had a Santa Claus, aside from the dead one in the elevator. Who moved? Who moved and blinked? Oh, I didn't see the moving and blinking. Okay, so if you haven't watched it, go back and watch that. When he comes down, uh, his eyes are open, and then we pan away, and we go back to him, and his eyes are closed, and his head moves before Hans touches him. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I do love I do love the 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 little uh, DIY Christmas sweater he's wearing. It's so great, yeah, that's so great. I love the attention to detail. The fact that John took time to write on this guy's sweater. <laughs> I mean, I vote for that. What he wrote on the sweater, by the way, to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. ho, ho. I agree. <laughs> I Especially agree. since Hashtag, that's my Santa. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that should be the title, especially because the other famous quote from this movie we can't say on this podcast. Yippee-yay, mother beep. <laughs> Yippee-yay. Yippee-yay. Which they they attributed to that to um, Roy Rogers. It's actually Gene Autry, hmm. the the man who made Rudolph famous. And just while we are just talking those quotes, I do have two other quotes I liked in this movie. Ooh, let's hear them. Let's see if they're on my list. So one is when he's fighting one of the terrorists, and the guy's like, "You won't hurt me." Yeah, why not? You're a policeman. There's are rules for policemen. <laughs> yeah, that's what my captain keeps telling me, and then he kills him. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the other one i think it's when he's talking to hans gruber not knowing it's him at the moment and he just says yeah i got invited to the christmas party by mistake who knew <laughs> you know a lot i like of when the- he's in the air ducts speaking of favorite quotes my favorite one is when he's in the air duct with a lighter and the framing of that is so perfect right because his head's kind of cocked to the side and the light's just on the front of his face and he's all Come on to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. <laughs> That's my favorite. My favorite, Bra- favorite. Bravo on your New York accent, by the way. Thank you. I'm really working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back with my Oklahoma one next week. Ooh, Can't I'm do that. excited. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the one-liners in here are Bruce Willis improving, just him throwing stuff out there, which I love. You know, the whole welcome to the party, pal, and... After he throws the guy out the window, welcome to the party, pal. And uh, now, my favorite is, now I know how a TV dinner feels. Yep. <laughs> and then we learn a lot about uh, the relationship between Holly and John, just with Holly's one line. Only John can make somebody that crazy. Yes. I feel like if Christine were in this movie, she would say the same thing about me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, oh, I have one more favorite quote. I have two more I have to read with you guys. One is the uh, when he's trying to get shoes, and he's like, nine million terrorists in the world, and I got to kill the one with smaller feet than the monster. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love the exchange between Hans and John, where Hans is like, Mr. Mystery Guest, are you still there? And he's like, yes, I sh- I'm still here, unless you want to open the front door. Well, no, I'm afraid not. But you have made a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw... Oh, that was, we already went over that. Never mind. He's, he's like, I uh, was kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I always love those sequin shirts. He said, do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a great exchange. Yeah, it mm-hmm. really was. Really, even though they didn't have, I mean, they didn't have a ton of interaction. Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman made this movie. Mm-hmm. It kind of made you wish they had done another movie together to see what could have happened not like a sequel to die hard just like another movie in general maybe they should have brought um alan rickman in on the expendables that would have been amazing that would have been amazing have you guys after a flight ever kicked off your shoes and clenched your feet into the rug and is it does it really help you 
unwind after traveling. You mean make fists with your toes? Make fists with your toes, yeah. Yeah. I've never tried it either. You have? Oh, it's glorious. Oh, yeah. I tried it right after the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> Heck, yeah. Like, I'm going to try that. Start peeling my socks off. Yeah, and it is gloriously relaxing. So we have to rank this movie. Do you want to, one of you want to explain the method we came up, the new method we came up with to rank these films going forward? So we're anticipating, um, when, after we had disagreements about Arthur Christmas, we didn't have enough movies on the list for it to make a difference. But there's going to come a time where we are going to have differences of opinions on where they rank. And so we need a... a a fair way to view to, to look at all of the movies. So we are going to rank every movie we watch going forward. Each of us will give a ranking from one to 10. We will average that. And that's how we will determine where the movie goes on the list. So I think before we rank Die Hard, we should probably get caught up right. on the past movies, right? So when I have it in order of us giving our numbers, which we've all come up with already, so we won't be uh, swayed at all by anybody else's response. And Anthony, what do you rank? Elf. 10. Julia? 10. And I also rank it a 10. So that is still the number one to beat. That is a, our perfect movie. So Anthony, where did you rank on a scale of one to 10 home alone? Nine. Julia? Eight. That's really funny. I ranked it 8.5. <laughs> so our average for that one is 8.5. Oh, hello. I should have known that. Eight, nine, nine. Okay. Um, Arthur Christmas. Anthony? Four. Six. I am ranking it worse than Anthony did. I gave it a three. Wow. That's I thought, I thought yours shocking. was going to be lower than that. Um, so that's 4.33. And Die Hard. Where do we rank Die Hard, guys? Seven. Oh. Seven. I give it an eight. Nice. So when we do our magic tallying, the new list reads Elf is number one, followed by Home Alone. Followed by Die Hard, followed by Arthur Christmas, which I think is how we probably would have all guessed this would turn out, right? 100%. Honestly, I'm not surprised by any of the rankings. I'm surprised you guys both gave Die Hard a 7. I thought it would have been a little higher, but I'm surprised I'm the highest ranking one for Die Hard. And I was wondering what made you guys decide on the 7 number? I probably knocked off the extra point because as much as I love this movie, it is not the Christmas movie I go to or think of first when I think of Christmas films or think when I want to pop in a Christmas film to watch. It's never like top of my mind, front of my mind to think of putting in. I don't know. I find this is one of the movies I I would probably watch more throughout the year and less around Christmas time, even though I agree it's a Christmas film. It's just not the one I'd go to. So that's probably the extra, where the extra point gets knocked off for me. Nice. Yeah, mine too. I'd have to agree with that totally. It doesn't give me quite the warm the warm fuzzies I want from Christmas movies during the Christmas season. So love it. But yeah, that's why mine's a seven as well. Very cool. All right. Well, you know, one thing that's been really exciting this last week, we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners. I don't know about you guys, but I have been really stoked. Oh, me too. Because this is what we wanted, right? We wanted them to interact with us. Well, I think, you know, when we started this podcast, um, we all, we all discussed, you know, what's, what's a sign of success? What are we looking for? What are we hoping to get to with this? And I think I just shot off and said, if five people listen to our podcast every time, I'm pretty happy. Um, And we have really exceeded that. And it's been exciting. We did hit 250 listeners. Now we're at 266. 
um, downloads of our podcast, which for four episodes out is really, uh, really pretty exciting. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for being a part of our new community we're trying to create. A place for us to all talk and and get to know one another and and celebrate our our mutual love of Christmas season. So um, let's go ahead and see what our listeners had to say. So, do we want to start with the iTunes reviews? Let's do. Okay, so we actually got three iTunes reviews this week. We have six overall, <laughs> three from us, but we're a little biased. But uh, the three not from us. So the first one came in on September seventh, and it's titled "Christmas Magic" five stars, and it's from Jenny from the Bronx who I'm pretty sure is the Jen we heard from last week. And I think we got more mail from her this week. But she wrote, um, do you love Christmas? Do you love it 365 days a year? Do you love the films and shows celebrating the holiday? Do you enjoy your holiday beverages and treats during the season? Then this is a show for you and all of your happy elf friends. Three magical elves review the Christmas films and shows that you've seen thought of seeing or avoided seeing learn some fun facts get a different perspective and just have a good time it won't disappoint so thanks jen jen so nice call me elf one more time (laughs) 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 but in a really good way thank you jen so our second itunes review comes from forever char again you heard some mail from her last week i assume it's the same person and i think we have more mail from her this week But she gave us a five-star review and titled her review, Loving This Podcast. And she wrote, I am truly enjoying this podcast. I love Christmas and I'm excited to get to listen to talk of Christmas movies, songs, and the holiday season every week. It's great getting to hear the hosts talk about their family Christmas traditions as well. Just an all-around fun podcast. So thank you, Char. You're just an all-around fun listener. And this one came in today. Uh, five stars. It's titled Subscribe If You Love Christmas. It's by uh, Skanauber. S-K-N-A-U-B-E-R. Not sure who that is or if you've interacted with us before. If you have, sorry. Um, but they wrote, Anthony, Julia, and Tom give great insight of your favorite Christmas movies. As a big Christmas lover, there are still facts that come up that I don't even know about. They keep it entertaining and full of holiday cheer. If you love Christmas, you need to listen to this. So thanks, uh, Mr. or Ms. Knauber. That was awesome. Woohoo! So, Julia, I think we get some Facebook feedback. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had some great interaction on Facebook. Um, So, Charlene, who I believe is also the one who left an iTunes review, um, she has interacted with us before, and she's back with some more great information. Um, When we had asked about what our favorite holiday drinks are, she'd responded that her favorite is Starbucks Peppermint Mocha, which I am with her on that one. I love that Peppermint Mocha. Um, She's not a big fan of the pumpkin spice latte. She doesn't even like much pumpkin flavored anything. Um, And she understands, she she notes that she realizes that's an unpopular stance, LOL. (laughs) Um, At home, she gets holiday holiday flavored creamers for her coffee and flavored coffee. She loves eggnog. And then we get into her um, answering Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, what's bigger. Um, They put an emphasis on Christmas Day. They have a Christmas Eve tradition of watching Christmas movies together and baking cookies. And I love that. Uh, They open gifts on Christmas morning, except for Christmas PJs on Christmas Eve. Christmas PJs unite. I love it. When she was a kid, her brother was always the one who would 
wake her and her parents up super early to open gifts while she would still be asleep. Um, like any other night. So she values their sleep, which I love. And then this is my favorite. She said, thankfully now my son is very much like me in that way in that he likes to sleep. She put, I feel like Julia in that I do not want to get up super early. I feel that even more as a mother now. <laughs> so I love this chick. She's my favorite. <laughs> um, regarding stockings, they always go get into the stockings um, after all the presents have been opened. So they're a post present stocking opener. And usually it's a gift that's too small for her that she she doesn't want to have to wrap it. So she puts it in the stockings. <laughs> okay. So here's the Arthur Christmas talk. When she started watching Arthur Christmas, she said it took her three tries to get all the way through it. She kept falling asleep. I must say I'm with Anthony on how I feel about it. LOL. So You're definitely my favorite listener for, as of now, <laughs> I have to say, buddy. you hit all three of us in a great way, Char. Yeah. Between the not liking pumpkin spice... Or pumpkin flavored, the liking Arthur, not liking Arthur Christmas. You and Anthony became BFFs. You and Julia with your love of sleep, and you and I with knowing when the appropriate time to open your stocking is. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the feedback coming. We love we love your input on all yes, of that, especially since it yeah it hits all of us. It's so great. Um, another Facebook commenter we had is new. Um, Stacy McKenzie is her name. I hope I pronounced the last name correctly. Um, she was super fun too. So she put, I'm uber excited. Um, she's a Christmasaholic, which we love anybody who's a Christmasaholic. Um, she puts her Christmas decor up the day after Halloween. And this is super cool. She does a 99 day countdown at work to Christmas. Um, she said it was actually earlier, but there were some scrooges that <laughs> made it only 99 days. <laughs> she went on to tell us how thrilled she was that we let our Christmas freak flag fly, which I don't know if anybody else realizes, but that is a quote from The Family Stone, which is a Christmas movie, Ooh. which is coming up to be reviewed by us. I so, didn't catch that. This girl. Oh, Yeah. So and I hope I'm hoping she put it in there knowing it was from the family stone. But if she didn't, totally cool too. <laughs> um, but she's super happy with the podcast, having a ton of fun. She loves Elf. Um, her and her husband had actually just watched it Saturday night with pumpkin spice scent throughout the house, blinds closed to darken it, and in cozy PJs. So she's she's starting the season off right. Um, Stacy, I just want to say I'm glad I'm not the only person who decorates the day after Halloween. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, and some more fantastic Facebook feedback. Um, Jen Barr was back to comment on our most recent questions. Um, she mentioned that they go through their stockings after opening presents from Santa. So they're a post Santa or they're a post Christmas stocking opener. Um, and this is my favorite. She said, usually it's some small toys in her case, Tsum um, and candy. Um, her favorite, her favorite version of a Christmas Carol is Mickey mouse version. So Such let me just comment. Version. It is a great version. What's a Tsum um, Okay. So Tsum Tsums are super highly addictive and awesome for anybody that loves Disney. They're Japanese styled Disney characters. So they're almost like these little small plush things that you can stack in gigantic pyramids and collect 
but they're the likeness of different Disney characters. So they have all these different sets and they release them on Tsum Tsum Tuesdays and it's this whole thing. And there's so much fun to collect. My daughter and I are very into it. So Jen and I have already back and forth a little bit about of our about our love of Disney and <laughs> I really am a big fan of her. Tsum are cool. But I think I was I was telling Julia just before we started recording, I prefer the Hallmark version, which are very similar. They don't stack. I forget what they're called, but um they're very cool and cute as well. They are. We also had a comment from Amanda Westman who mentioned that she's never seen Die Hard. So I'm hoping she's really going to enjoy this episode. Amanda, you should definitely and, see it, but do not let yeah. my God kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then our last Facebook comment um, was from Megan Teague Ivanova. Um, she mentioned that they do stockings first and then Santa presents and then family presents. So I'm with her on that one. Second one, her favorite Christmas carol is um, Mickey's Christmas Carol with Scrooged as a close second. And then her third answer was she's never seen Arthur Christmas. But not missing anything. Yeah, well, yeah. Keep walking. Um, She's never seen Arthur Christmas, but I'm assuming it's her husband, Alexi, or maybe not. It is. Um, Thinks Die Hard. Okay. Thinks Die Hard is, quote, the best Christmas movie. And there's a fantastic screenshot of Santa dead in the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) And you see on that GIF, his eyes are open, but the next scene we see him, they're closed. It bothers me. Uh, I I know Tom has some more feedback, but before we do that, since people have been, since uh, the ones we've read so far have been mentioning their stocking habits, um, we did ask on Twitter, we did create a poll on Twitter asking whether or not you open stockings before you open your presents under the tree or after. And by the time the poll closed, 62% of people said they opened them before presents. 38% said after presents. Um, Which, honestly, I'm surprised that as many people do it after presents as do, because until Tom mentioned it last week, I've never heard of anybody doing it after presents. So, See, I had never heard of... Never heard of doing it before. Well, really, until we, I think you guys talked about it, and I was a little surprised. So, wow. All right. So, let's hit uh, our website first. Thank you so much to Stacy, who said that she was listening to episode two, but she cannot believe that we haven't seen or don't like One Magic Christmas. This is one I haven't seen. Uh, Julia, had you seen this one? Nope. I, I, Anthony was the one who did not like it. I'm sorry. Uh, she said there's a line from it that her family uses all the time that says, my dad My dad says you're a dork. Uh, and then she says, we've got to see it. And it's in a town called Medford. And she lives in Medford, Oregon. Based on that line, I feel like I could take that and, and run with it. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Um, then Disco55 on Reddit told us that uh, Arthur Christmas really isn't as bad as we made it out to be. The rage about it amused him or her as he or she was on our way home from work. Uh, Then they told us that our podcast did not refresh in the iTunes thing as early in the morning. And um, he or she was disappointed that he or she had to wait until the afternoon to listen to the podcast. It was only a few weeks in, but we've become a part of his or her week pretty quickly. So that was pretty warming. And then we just got a... super sweet. um, I, I was wondering about that because my episode downloaded pretty quickly into my feed. And then I realized this person lived in the United Kingdom. So, Oh, okay. 
So by the time it popped up in our feed in the morning, it was afternoon, five hours ahead. So, so I'm going to try, I'm going to work harder guys to try to get this up as close to midnight as possible so that we are there for your morning commute, wherever you are. And then, uh, miles, Chris, six, 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 so that we're doing a great job on the podcast and it's a lot of fun and that, uh, he or she hopes we keep it up. And one other piece from Reddit, we were asked today if we were going to start a subreddit um, for Tis the Podcast and hadn't really um, given it a whole lot of thought. But thanks to Vox Havoc on the subreddit Christmas, we have started one. If you'd like to join in on the conversation there, you can go to the subreddit Tis the Podcast, all one word, and see Anthony and I and interact with us there. If you like Julia more, as most of us do, you can interact a lot more with her on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And Facebook. And Facebook. So I have a get-to-know-you question for you guys. Getting to know you. (laughs) See, she wasn't lying that she had the best voice on this podcast. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Do you want us to sing that? Do you want us to sing that same part? I just like to sing. Singing is my favorite. (laughs) <laughs> we can both sing and prove that you're the best, but I think the listeners would rather just take our word for it. So before I ask, I'm going to throw a question out to the listeners, only the listeners, based on the debate we had tonight. And that is, is Christmas and Hollis a Christmas song <laughs> that makes you feel good and anticipate the holiday season and puts you in the mood for Christmas? And will it become a Christmas classic in the future why or why not so listeners please help me prove tom and julia wrong because christmas and hollis is awesome okay so my question for you guys and also our listeners i came up with this question when re-listening to last week's episode and uh when i heard tom's tom say i had a war on flavor what are your favorite christmas time desserts like when you think of christmas what are the ones you automatically jump to that you look forward to every year to eating and baking and things like that you want me to take this one first tom Tom, i'll let you jump in first i think yeah i'm thinking wow (laughs) okay well my two favorite christmas things to eat are both um things that my mom makes Every single year, she almost exclusively makes them at Christmas time. One is her pumpkin log, which I love pumpkin. I'm not a huge fan of the pumpkin spice latte, but I love pumpkin everything else. And it's this great cakey rolled with the whipped cream kind of icing in the middle of it and a big spiral. And she makes it primarily just for me, which is probably why I like it so much because I get the entire log to myself. Um, The other thing she makes is this chocolate candy. It's like chocolate peanuts and raisins. And I can't think of Christmas without thinking of those things. And she just does it so effortlessly and with such love that those are my favorites. Do you want to put those recipes up on our website? I will see if I can pry them from her face. Yeah, I can do it. I'll put them up there. Awesome. (laughs) Well, for me, um, when I was growing up, my um, grandma and grandpa live in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And every year my grandma would send us these peanut butter balls. I don't have the recipe. I don't know how to do it, but they were peanut butter. They were like homemade uh, Reese's pieces that were a billion times better. And I look forward to them every year. No one can make them as well as Graham does. And I'm just hoping that my mom will send me some of hers this year when she gets them. 
Um, <laughs> I love those. Um, I really enjoy baking cookies, although I'm not the biggest cookie fan. I like baking them and I like playing with recipes. But Christine and I made a few years ago, we made a an apple pumpkin pie that is really good. It's a pumpkin pie with fresh apples and that's definitely up there. That sounds good. My last, my last thing I'm going to throw in, um, it's not just the holidays. It's any sort of celebration. Christine makes this lemon pie. It's called lemon icebox pie. It's a recipe that her grandmother had. And we make it for everything. It's my birthday pie. It's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas. So I don't know if that really counts. If that counts, that's up there. If not, it's our pumpkin apple pie. So you also need to get all of those recipes through the website because they I'll see what I can do. Even the pumpkin amazing. one, Anthony? Minus that one, but I was trying to be nice. You're so sweet, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite foods for Christmas time? So besides all the um, Italian type desserts my mother makes, like eggclairs and cream puffs and cannolis and chocolate pudding pie and everything like that, which I know Tom says he doesn't like that, but my mother makes it really good. Uh, my favorite are always the different types of cookies she makes. So besides, like you know, regu- she like she mel- she'll make regular ones like chocolate chip and peanut butter cookies too, with the fork pressed down. You know, everyone's seen those. Mm-hmm. But she makes a two. She makes amazing sugar cookies. You know, shapes and all, and does them decorates them really nice with frosting and sprinkles. And it's not Christmas to me without the sugar cookies. But in addition, she makes these awesome, they're like rolled up into a ball. There's a Hershey, Hershey's Kiss in the middle and around it, it's kind of like a chocolate chippy type coating and they're amazing. So they're really good. So Are they thumbprint cookies? Is that what those are called? Oh no, they're very, um, this one's like the Hershey Kiss is totally encased <gasps> in like a ball. Oh. But I know, exa- I know exactly which ones you're talking about. Those are really good too. That sounds magical. Yeah, it so I, I do have the recipes for those, so I will put those on the website but, this week. But you know, when I make your recipe, it is never going to be as good as your mom's. That's true. Maybe I'll have to get some and send them to you guys this year. There's something about moms and grandmas and their Christmas baking. Well, they're, everything they do is just better. That's true. Yeah. Like, I have the exact recipes, and for some reason, uh, they come out good, but never as good as moms. Moms are magical. They are. All right. Well, with that, I think we're ready to wrap up. Again, we love hearing from you. So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our new subreddit. Please, 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 if you like our podcast, just take a minute, go to iTunes, give us the five-star rating, tell people what you love about us. Those reviews go far and help us uh, expand our reach. And we... And we will, next week, we will be announcing a kind of promotional tie-in type giveaway to entice you to leave us reviews. Don't wait until we announce it, though, because if you do it before we announce the giveaway and the details of that, you will be entered twice in our giveaway. So there's some incentive to do it right away. And do we want to include, if you review us on Facebook as well, you'll get an extra entry? Yes. So if you go re- if you go review us on iTunes, you get two entries. If you review us on Facebook, you get one. And next week, you'll find out what we're giving away. So with that, we will go ahead and let you know what to expect next week. Next week, we are bringing you a film that came out 10 years later that we think you're going to love. It is I'll Be Home for Christmas, starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas. 
JTT. So watch this 90s teeny bopper heartthrob in his Christmas movie and be ready to come back next week to discuss. Until then, guys, keep those. What was the line? Christmas freak flags flying. (laughs) That's it. Keep your Christmas freak flag flying. Bye, guys. Only 97 days until Christmas, so less than 100. Yay. Wait, that means our listener has almost started her or has started her countdown, right? Well, by the time this episode drops, it will be 97 days. So Monday. Awesome. So we hope your Christmas countdown is going well. And you don't let the Scrooges get you down? Yeah, don't let Post the Scrooges get you down. Yeah, send us a picture of your office. I want to see it. All right. Christmas Freaks Unite. Have a great week, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol.